Exodus chapter 2, and uh, verses 16 uh, to 22. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to, the, to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and he saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, Then, where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Moses having killed uh, an Egyptian and with Pharaoh looking to kill him had no option but to run away. It's got a stark thing, isn't it, really? People that know that they're on the run. Exodus chapter 2, verse 15 says, When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. If we look back at the events that caused Moses to run, and for a moment we set aside the sovereignty of God. Let me apologize to Phil just for a moment. We're just going to set aside the sovereignty of God. We can gaze at the circumstances. Phil, you will forgive me because it is 70 times 7. So we're just going to just forget it for a while, the sovereignty of God. And actually look at it. And what you might say was that the events that occurred in regard to uh, Moses killing uh, the Egyptian guy delayed the deliverance of the people by some 40 years. 40 years. One mistake. 40 years. Don't quote the sovereignty of God yet, Phil. One mistake. 40 years. I think sometimes what we don't realize is that when we sin, we get forgiven, but we can live with the consequences of that sin. Yeah? Secondly, it was the wrong way of doing things. It wasn't God's intention or the right way. The right way is not to murder folks. Okay, So just get that into our idea. Whether you're supporting Cardiff City or whatever you're doing. or where, you know, When we're down in the party in the park this afternoon, if somebody drops a Coke can and or whatever or whatever they're doing, the answer is not to murder them. You just go pick up the Coke can, put it in a litter thing, okay? It's interesting that thirdly, it resulted in, in, in antagonizing the people that actually that he was trying to win. That what he wanted to do was capture the hearts of his people and they became angry with him. He'd lost their heart. Fourthly, he created an enemy 
out of the person who had the power to release his people, Pharaoh. Pharaoh. The guy that could have said, you can all go. Suddenly was this so much intensity that was involved in this one event that now Pharaoh, who had brought Moses up as his own son, now wants to kill him. This is the guy that has the power to release him. And this is the mess that Moses has got himself into. In Stephen's speech, uh, Acts chapter 7, it says this, He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. He thought... There's a bit of Joseph in this, isn't there? He thought that they would recognize his God-giving calling to rescue them. I am the man. I am the anointed one. I've got... Come on, guys. Can't you see it? No, they couldn't. It was interesting that he was the deliverer, but his plans were flawed. In fact, they were rash, they were filled with anger, they were immature, short-term, foolish, and we've all been there, haven't we? We've all made those sorts of decisions that probably we regret. Probably things that we've said, things that we've done, things that we look back and we think, why did I just do that? Why did I say that? My dad... Um, was uh, unlike me. He was tall, he was thin, he would have been a little bit thinner than Denzel. He had the look a little bit of Denzel about him. He was that sort of height. So if I occasionally run over and hug Denzel, it's just a mistake, Denzel. And he was, he was calmer than me as well. I was one of those... I don't know, kids that just rushed around. I don't know if you've ever seen those kids in the playground that just run everywhere. You know, they're, and they're just, you know, they're like a fly in the play. That was me. And it, my, my school reports used to have lacks concentration, doesn't st- sit still long enough. That was how it was. You can have a read of them every year. That's what my guy. My dad said to me this. He said, Nigel, we, we, we've come to the conclusion and we've negotiated this that actually school is not the best place for you. And it wasn't. He said, we've, we, we're going to talk about an apprenticeship, of which I did. I signed up for an apprenticeship. And in going to an apprenticeship, my dad said to me, I've only got three words that you need to learn in life. And he said, if you can do these words, you will be equipped for life. So I said, okay, Dad, this is it. My mom was sitting there. I was sitting there. My apprenticeship was before me, all signed. And he said, Nigel, stop and think. And you know, I have said that so many times to so many people. It has just been so helpful It doesn't particularly come out of the Bible, although Bill now will find a reference to fit it in. But it is. I wonder whether you need to hear the words of my father, and I wonder whether I need to hear the words of my father, that situations will arise and you and I need to stop and think. Stop and think. It's interesting, I think the first thing he said to me is stop. Stop, and then it's 
think. Because I'm off. And I can do, I do the ranty thing. You know, I can do half an hour. Stop and think. I just remember that Jesus did say through, his, through Scripture that with this treasure is in an earthen vessel. Don't drop the pot. It's in an earthen vessel. It's very fragile. Don't drop the pot. And do remember that the only one that is without sin is Jesus. We actually are privileged to serve him, but we are flawed. He's perfect. He's perfect. We're not. It's only him that's without sin. I think some of the tension that we need to hold in our Christian life is literally that. I am flawed and he's perfect. I'm flawed, he's perfect. I think we need to hold those two things. But also, we have a call of God. A call of God. And when we drop the pot, the call just looks daft. I don't know if you've ever done this, but in my enthusiasm, uh, some years ago when I, when I was involved in my uh, evangelism as, uh, in Little London Baptist Church, I used to go out on a Friday night and do evangelism on the streets. I used to preach on a Saturday morning on a box. And sometimes the answer is to really argue with people. And what I realized very early on when I was just 16 or or 15 or that sort of age, just become a Christian, that actually to tell people that they're burks, they're idiots, they're fools, they're absolute nincompoops, that sort of stuff, did not win them for the gospel at all. It didn't help me in regard to my evangelism. Look, you are a burke, just get saved. You know, that sort of stuff. It just doesn't work. That actually that we have a very high call from God. It may be not as big as Moses is, but it still is a commission from God. And our actions will either point to him or point away from him. So I want to ask you, in, in just in introduction, do, does what you say, does what you do, point to him or point to your call, or away from him. So anyway, Moses runs away to Midian. We're not sure of the exact location. Some people argue about this. But I'm going to just say this. It's about 20 miles from Egypt. And he sits by a well. He just sits by a well. He's left everything behind. He's feeling very sorry for himself. He's feeling extremely wounded. He's feeling confused. He's feeling lonely. And he's sitting by and well. I don't know whether you like me, but you know, there are lots of passages in the Bible, and you think, this is just like Elijah, really. You know, if you think about Elijah, Elijah had told uh, the widow of Zarephath that the Lord would provide flour and oil, that would not be spent extraordinary then he had raised her son from the dead 
Then he confronts the king Ahab. Then he defeats the prophet of Baal. Then he prays for rain, and it does. Not at the moment, Lord. And then Queen Jezebel has a word in his ear hole, and he legs it off into the desert and sits under a broom tree. And it's lovely, the scripture, because it says that the Lord came to him and says, he says, uh, what are you doing, Elijah? And the Lord comes to Moses, and there's Moses sitting by a well, and he says, and what are you doing, Moses? And the Lord comes, and he looks at you often, and he looks at me, and he said, what are you doing? What, what, what are you doing? It's true because, you know, if you run away from the Lord, there is always a, what are you doing? What are you doing? I have the privilege of being spoken to in, in a, a butlin's camp by the Lord. In mine head. Them walls are thin. I can tell you, I know this is true. Because I was running away from the Lord. And I sat in a butlin's camp in my head and know exactly those words. And I just want to testify to this, that you cannot run away from the Lord. The Lord will ask you the same question wherever you think that you can go and hide from him. What are you doing? What are you doing? I had to sit there in my head saying, answering questions like this. Nigel, yes, Lord. This is not what I planned for you, is it? No, Lord. Then what are you going to do? Um, I just want to sit here for a while by this well. No. You've got to get back in the car. You've got to drive down the M5. And you've got to go home and you've got to repent. This is exactly what the Lord said to me. Nigel, yes, Lord, my plans have not been changed by your stupidity. I still have plans. And I thought this, I thought sitting there, I thought, well, okay, this must now have disqualified me. Here I am. I've done this. It's just disqualified me. And the Lord said to me, no, Nigel, I haven't changed my mind. It's just your mind that needs to change. You've made mistakes. No, Nigel, you need to go and humble yourself and get yourself back on track. Do you know, humbling yourself is extremely difficult. This is how I humble myself, firstly. And it's all right, because my mum and dad are now dead, but I had to go in, and first of all, I had to go into the church that I was in, and my mum and dad, and say, I wish to apologise for my behaviour. I threw myself into a church which seated 800 and there were 30 people in it. Can you imagine that? The following week that I arrived back, I was made redundant. 
It was humbling, humbling. The following week, a young girl called Carolyn Davis walked into church. Oh, come on. <laughs> Just a few weeks later, I, I, walked, I traveled down to Sussex because I couldn't get a job in the Midlands. Walked into Barkham Baptist Church was filled with the Spirit. And I couldn't understand any of those things, but it began with something that is very difficult to do, sometimes to humble ourselves. And I learned the reality of Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8. As I sat by my well, and you sit by your broom tree, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. For Elijah and Moses, there was a huge loss of confidence, both feeling vulnerable, fearful, both emotionally tired, in fear of men, both feeling isolated and lonely, and both having lost their perspective, and they need a saviour. Actually, let's rewrite there. When we go down to the park this afternoon... There will, people, will be people with a huge loss of confidence, feeling very vulnerable and fearful, feeling emotionally tired, feeling in fear of man, feeling isolated and lonely, having a loss of perspective, and they need a saviour. True? They need a saviour. For Elijah, the Lord would meet him in a still, small voice. For Moses, it would be a burning bush, which we're going to look at next week. The funny thing is, I can't help but pray. This is just a distant thing. You, do you remember Angela Kemp came here? Well, when I first knew Angela Kemp, this is on the internet, she had dark hair. And she once decided that she was going to do it. Have you seen that lady? A, that very bright red. It doesn't look like hair dye. It looks really bright red. It's sort of a hair dye, but it's, it is like pillar box red. So she decides that because of the hair thing and the little grey hairs and things like this, she would do this. And she comes into a meeting in Jubilee Church in whatever, and Simon Pettit, still alive, looks up and he says, my goodness, the burning bush has arrived. (laughs) So I can't help but think about this. So Moses had the burning bush. This is how to encourage your staff. Okay. Elijah would be told, arise and go, and Moses would be, say, I am sending you from the well, from the broom tree. Arise, go, I am sending you. You know, I think sometimes that we do lose our perspective in regard to who we are on this earth. Because I think what we can, we can get consumed is, is, is that just we're sort of like, you know, we're, we're sort of heavenly people. You know, we worship the Lord, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But if it's only that, we are really in trouble because God has commissioned us for our period while we are on this earth. We're not just worshippers, we're worshippers with a commission. 
And, and you know, our commission on, on, our, on this earth is to fulfill the plans and purposes of God. And part of that plan for us as a church will be to establish the church in Wrexham to create a strong base so that other churches can be planted from it. And I don't need to be thrilled with my vision. I want it to be a part of yours. I want you to feel something is there for you to be able to, to grasp hold of. I want to ask you, are you just thrilled with Jesus or are you thrilled with Jesus and the plan that he has for you? They, we have to hold them both in tension because you can be thrilled with Jesus and do nothing with your life or you can do everything in your life and forget Jesus. The two stand as great pillars. Come on, be thrilled with Jesus and fulfill his plans. That is so exciting. That's why I want to get involved in it. You know, failure, mistakes, setbacks, they'll come. Seasons of blessings, seasons of dryness will happen. But what will sustain us? A saviour, yes. But more than that, the great commission to fulfil is still there to be done. Does the great commission burn in you? Does it thrill you? Do you long, do you agonize over the fact that we, you know, that we don't see people saved like we should? Do you, does, it, does it get you out of bed? Do you want to come and, and be a part of something where we're fulfilling the Great Commission? Or do you think, oh no, it's church, I'd rather go and have a coffee, frankly. Do you know, you can get like that. You can get like that, that Costa seems greater than Jesus. What has it become when a big cup of coffee with a saucer that's slightly set offset, so you get a big bicky on it, has become more inspiring to you than Jesus and the Great Commission? Boy, do we need to be filled with the Spirit again. Great, the Great Commission. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was able to say this. He was able to say, Paul called to be an apostle. Nigel called to be in Wrexham. Does that sort of, does it grip you? Can he put your name? Paul, it's what stirred him, moved him on, got him going, took him from town to town to town. Does it stir you? How can it stir us? Both Elijah and Moses' recovery was not based on just a re-evaluation. Need is the Great Commission. That will help. No, it was made on an encounter with God. Do you know, if you are to deliver your Hebrews, and you are to face your Jezebel, then you will need a still small voice or a burning bush. Because, do you know, I can exhort you, teach you, rebuke you and encourage you, but only a burning bush and a still small voice helps you to do it. And we mustn't be people that just gather because it's, we've got sort of, hey, we've got drums now. And they're not plug-in ones. Did you notice? We've got real drums. 
No, come on, guys. We want to gather to encounter God so that we are propelled into the community. There is no other option. That is why we get up on a Sunday morning. That's why you get up and you think, it is Sunday! So that we can be together, so we can encounter God. So we've got to, we've got to move towards only one thing. Our own burning bush. This meeting must become our burning bush. Cell groups, small groups, home groups, connect groups, groups have to be our burning bush. They have to be our burning bush. Leaders' meetings have to become our burning bush. If they're not, then we ain't going to go. Acts 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness. Do you know why I'm not a natural witness? Because power hasn't come upon me like it should. So let me encourage you. Sometimes, even in small group, let's not do agenda. We the four W's or not four W's? No, come on. Let's have a burning bush. So we're at the well and we are sitting pouty-lipped and feeling sorry for himself is Egypt's most rejected eligible bachelor. That's how he was. I want you to imagine that this guy was on the front of Egypt's OK magazine every week. Every photographer wanted to take photographs of Moses and his life. The paparazzi followed him round day and night, watching what he ate, slept, and how he did it, what he looked. And now he doesn't even make the Midian leader. So now what does God do with Egypt's most rejected rejected eligible bachelor? He sends him seven women. Seven women. Not only seven women, but seven women whose dad is a priest. Seven godly women. What more could a man ask for? I had difficulties with this because later on it says that the dad chose for him a wife. Now, I was just thinking, I wonder what the... Did he have six ugly ones and one good-looking one? Or did, did the dad say, we need to get rid of this one, we'll get rid of this one on most? You know, all those sort of things get, go sort of in my mind. But what, I think this is extremely funny, but it's deep. Because what God is showing Moses, because suddenly all his future is gone, it's all been rejected, what, what, what he's been shown here is who is in control. Suddenly, God produces seven gorgeous women. Shows him grace. The grace of not one, but the grace of seven. Extraordinary. It's sort of almost, I can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. I am a God of the abundance. But one would have been fine. Such is the pouty lip 
and the feeling sorry for himself that he doesn't notice these se- I saw that Phil he doesn't notice these seven women drawing more you know you can get like that you can get yourself into such a mess in regard to yourself that you don't notice what's going on in front of you you can become so self-consumed with you that you don't notice that next to you is something that God wants to bring into your life. It was so close. He's sitting, leaning up the well. The seven women are drawing water and he's not noticing. How could you not notice Moses? But he doesn't. Because being self-consumed sometimes can paralyze ourselves and it paralyzed him. Then what happens is some shepherds come and drive away the women because they think that their need is greater. Now, we don't want to go into the politics here of men's needs are greater than women's because I just don't want to be stoned from the front. But just so that you know, ladies, uh, that that they, they were in the wrong place. Suddenly, Moses does it again. He's aroused, his, the impetuous part of his nature, nature arises and he puts himself again under considerable risk because this is not shepherd, this is shepherds. This is, oi, what do you think that you're doing to these one-man shepherds? And they all look like Phil Harmon, okay? So he, he's just in a mess here. And his anger suddenly bursts out and over the top to save the women. The anger is not deep down in here. The anger is here. So suddenly he flies at these shepherds. I want to ask you this question. Where is your anger and your right to be angry? I wonder how deep it is or how close it is. One of the theologians talking about this passage said this. He said, when getting angry, quickly ponder the right of Jesus to be angry with you. In fact, with anything. Ponder his right to be angry. And then ask the question, but how did he endure the cross and set an example for us in long suffering? 1 Peter 2 verse 21 says this, For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. Therefore, in your anger, or not anger, we need to set him as an example and follow his steps. The other side of the coin is that Moses felt compassion Injustice. He felt for the oppressed. So he felt for these ladies. Saw them being oppressed by the shepherds. Reminded him of his past to just a few 
days before. One day when Moses had grown up, he went to his people and he looked at their burdens and he saw Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He felt it. But it was the wrong way, again, of feeling it. This time, however, unlike the previous episode of forceful intervention, it actually won him some friends and a home and a family. And it proved to him that the Lord still loved him and cared for him in the midst of failure and mistakes. It proved to him that God still loved him in the midst of sin. It proved to him that God still loved him in the midst of stupidity. Moses had messed everything up and God provides a family, a wife and a home. It's the heart of God for you. It's the heart of God for me. So we have what I think is a window into his heart. Exodus 2, 22 to 23 says this. She, he marries and then she gives birth, his wife gives birth to a son and he called the name Gershom for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. You can feel the longing for his home, you can feel the longing for his people but you can also feel that his past haunts him. It haunts him so much that he names his son so that he doesn't forget. Can you imagine being called Gershom? (laughs) Every day when he sees his son, he will be reminded of the sin of his past, the people of his past, the people whom God called him to rescue, but he blew it. Every time that he held him in his arms as a child, every time as he walked him um, out of one tent, every time that he took him up a mountain with him, he would know of his past. It would be there all the time. You know, sometimes, and not with everybody, some people think that the way to overcome the pain of their past is to punish themselves. But what they can do is that they can sort of think, well, if I can have this in my life, it will serve to satisfying that mistake that I made. That they can put themselves, their own Gershom in their lives And it can stay in their lives for the point, sometimes for ages. And I want us to remind ourselves of what what the theologians call the complete work of the cross. The two parts of the complete work of the cross are one, that Jesus deals with all your sin completely. That's the one side of it. The second side of this is that you and I are made completely righteous. Completely righteous. 
You've heard this before if you've done a Freedom in Christ course, but it's a good question. Do you think yourself a sinner or do you think yourself as a saint? Do you think yourself as a holy one? It's a revealing concept, but it actually can show where we are in regard to the work of the cross. Where do you think that you are? Now for a theological statement before we move on and just read some scriptures. You've probably heard people talk about penal substitution or the atonement. It's been in uh, the Christian press for quite a long time. Do you know, without the notion of Jesus bearing our sins away, how can we believe that they are no longer ours? There has to be a penal substitution so that we can know full righteousness. I'm just going to read together some scriptures. I want to read them because I want you to know that you should not be living with Gershom in your life. You should not. We're part of a new covenant. So let's read some together. They're all behind me so I can do that. Let's go back over here. Let's just read some of these. Let's get rid of the Gershom in our life. Romans 5.19 For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit with me. Then I will treat transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Do you see the dynamic of that? Isaiah 6, verse 7. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. John 1, 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Acts 22, verse 16. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. <coughs> Hebrews nine twenty six. He appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 1 John 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. 
because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. He appeared to take away sins. In him there is no sin. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Romans 6. Can we who died to sin live in it? Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You must must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Psalm 103. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Hear this. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43:25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. 2 Corinthians 5:21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew sin, who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of god if god does not remember our sins and has cleansed us from guilt then they no longer exist we have a clean slate we are free it's just as if i never sinned but more than that it is all, it's as if I had always been holy. We need to praise God for wonderful mercy, wonderful love, that he should provide a way that cost him so much to rescue us from the mess that we've made of our lives. We deserve, yes, nothing but wrath. But we were given nothing but love. We stand in grace. We have a wonderful saviour. And we are new creations. If you define yourself as a Gershom, then you are not defining yourself as Jesus sees you. And because you are defining yourself as a Gershom, it will not empower you. It will just box you in and the weight of it will just freeze you forever. Forever. I want to ask you, please, I want to plead with you, Today, dismiss unbiblical, wrong thoughts about yourself and adopt 
biblical thoughts about yourself and live. Moses was not forgotten sitting by a well, but he did change. And yet sadly, sadly, he seems very content to stay where he is. I think that's sad, you know. Content to stay where I am. Do you find that sad? Oh, how was Nigel in his life? Oh, he was content to stay where he is. I find that. I don't want to be like that, Lord. <laughs> I do not want to be like that. Help me not to be like that, folks, will you? Just challenge me on it. Let me challenge you. Oh, well, we, he, he got this far and, and then that was, that was it. Oh, you know. You know are, are you the same, really, that, than, you, than you were 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 20 years ago? Are you content to stay where you are? He had given up and obviously buried the ambitions that previously motivated him. He seems to accept non-entity and obscurity, but God has other intentions. I, I want to I pray, and I don't want to bring people down to the front, but I want to pray for several things at this point. I want to pray for people firstly who are content to stay exactly where they are in, work, in their walk with God. I want to pray that God will come and stir something in you that will just fire you up again. I want to pray for people that have given up. (laughs) This is how my life is just going to be. I'm just going to be over here in Midian for the rest of my life. I've I've got a little one and I've got a wife, um, but I'm over here in Midian, really. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for anybody that knows that they have buried ambitions that had previously motivated them. Well, you know, I'm supposed to be the deliverer of Egypt. Well, that can't be right now because I'm actually living in Midian. How does that work then? Oh, well, it must have been the cheese. Just bury it. Yeah, but what about the prophecies and what about the scriptures and that sort of stuff? What, what about those things? Oh, they were great at the time. And, I, you know, my me, me hands shook and my knees went a bit... But I'm in Midian now. Just, you know... I want to pray for you. Buried ambitions that previously motivated you. 
I want to pray for people that know that, they, that they've come to a point of obscurity. Well, I, you know, I, people did know me, but, but, but I moved to Gateway Church Wrexham and then, you know, I was in Coventry once and, you know, loads of people know me and now I'm in here and nobody knows me. How does that work? I just want to say to all those people is this. God has other intentions. God has other intentions. And I want to pray that, that God, that for you, that you will now have something of what will come to Moses, a burning bush experience. Please stand. I don't want you to admit these. Put your hands up, come to the front. But I'm just going to pray. Okay. I want to first pray for people that I've become content to stay where you are. I'm going to do this in sections. Father, I just want to pray for anybody here that has become content to stay where they are, that knew that God had called them, knew that God had stirred them, knew that God had spoken to them, and now they're quite content where they are. Well, it's quite, I like it here. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, would you again light the fire of your intention in their heart again? ready to serve you, ready to go, ready to do exactly what you want for them. Would you do that, Lord? Would you respectfully stir it up again? (laughs) Would you create something again that although we want them to be content in every situation, they would not be content in where they've come because they know that God has called them for much more. I want to pray for people that have given up. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for every person that has said that thing. I'm not sure you're going to do it, Lord. I just give up. I just yield to this situation because I just cannot see that you are breaking, going to break through. I want to pray for them, Lord Jesus. I want to pray, thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness for their steadfastness, for their long-suffering, I want to pray, Lord, would you give them a burning bush experience? Would you help them to see something of you in their situation? Lord, would you give them a cloud the size of a man's hand? Lord, that they might be able to see something of you right now, right now, Lord, in their home, work, or general situation. Lord, would you send to them a cloud the size of a man's hand? I want to pray, Lord Jesus, for people that have buried ambitions that previously motivated them. Prophetic words... Come alive again in Jesus' name. Scripture, 
stir again, burn in their hearts again. I just want to say to you, and I, I just believe this by, please understand this, this is more a prophecy than anything else, and if it comes over wrong, please forgive me. I, I, just, want to, I, I just believe that what God would say to, say to you is, you need to go back and say to him, I am willing, here I am, send me. And almost ask the Lord again, being very humble, saying, I'm willing to do this from the bottom up. I'm willing to do this from the bottom up. So, Lord Jesus, I want to pray for those that have buried purposefully ambitions that they had for you. I want to pray, Lord, that you'd bring all those ambitions back to the surface again. And I want to pray, Lord, that you'd stir them with the purposes of God. And I want to pray, Lord, for people that have moved into obscurity. (laughs) And I want to pray for myself, really, as well in that. Lord, many people think that if they are, are in a London church or a Manchester church or, or a big city church, that it is buzzing. And I want to pray for people that, who are, that know that belonging to Gateway Church Wrexham is not the centre of the universe. Even, Lord, for us, where we know that we won't get funding from New Frontiers... <laughs> that we will not get its best leaders sent to us because of cities. Lord, what we do know is that Jesus came out of a small village. And we know that revival can come at the sovereign hand of God, not because we live in a massive city called Birmingham or London. So, Lord Jesus, I want to pray for those living in obscurity and for the obscurity of living in North Wales. I want to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Would you send revival? Would you send revival? Lord, would you, Lord, we just cast aside the the plans of man who says, ah, we have a strategy. And the strategy is we need 37 churches around this city and that will change the world. Sovereign Lord, pour out your spirit. Lord, would you hear our cry? Lord, we love the people of Wrexham. We love the people of North Wales. Do they not need you as a saviour as much as any city dweller on the face of this earth? Would your kingdom come, Lord? Would you not so that we can appear on the BBC News and be interviewed from the radio, but for your glory? Would your kingdom come? Would you cause people to come out of non-identity and obscurity because you have intentions for us in the name of Jesus? Amen.